The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Good afternoon. Thank you to our audience for tuning in to Leadership Matters, informing leaders and inspiring solutions. I'm Linda Schub, your host for this episode, and a new host to the Leadership Matters show, and I am joined by our new co-host, our new fourth-party host, who is co-hosting today, John Janetta, who is the Executive Director and CEO of the Heartland Family Services Nonprofit. Our guest today is Mr. Jim Flores, Floros, who is the newly appointed President and CEO of the Jacobson Cushman San Diego Food Bank. Mr. Poros previously served 20 years as the executive director and CEO of the Byrne Institute in San Diego, a nonprofit dedicated to reducing fire burn and burn injuries and related deaths. He had many successes in that environment and is now starting his tenure as CEO of the Jacobson Cushman San Diego Food Bank and will be our guest today. Increasingly, as we have been discussing this month under the uh, uh, monthly theme of strategic partnerships and the power of collaboration, increasingly we are seeing that organizations are engaged in strategic partnerships with either entities, people, donors, other partners, um, which have not been, this has not been the case historically, but the need to build organizational capacity and to expand the scope, breadth, and depth of services has certainly called for innovative ways of doing business. So today we're going to be exploring that with our guest, Mr. Jim Floros from the San Diego Food Bank. And just to get started, Jim, um, why don't you provide a little bit of an overview of the food bank for us, just showing a, bre- a bit of the breadth and depth of services and programs that you all provide. Welcome well, to the show. Well, thanks so much for having me on. This is awesome. Um, you know, I've been uh, just uh, with the uh, San Diego Food Bank for just over six months, and I have to say I'm just uh, very surprised by a lot of things. And I, I tell my staff that I'm kind of the poster child for the general public that truly doesn't understand uh, who we serve and what a wonderful uh, organization this is as far as uh, being a true machine that impacts over 350,000 people every single month. I just find that uh, statistic staggering. 
The other thing I found very surprising coming here is uh, who, what the face of hunger is and who we really serve. Uh, so many people think that we're serving the uh, homeless, but that's actually a very small percentage. Uh, so we're, we're, it's working poor. It's uh, military families and their dependents. We serve over 16,000 military families uh, every month. It's seniors, which you might, would, might, uh, guess that would be the case. Um, and it's a lot of people just trying to do the right thing, but just need that hand up to get through a rough patch and be able to be a productive member of society. So the, the breadth and the impact is humongous, it sounds like. Well, it is. I mean, we, um, when, you know, they tell me coming in here that we impact about 350,000, we we serve 350,000 people every single month. I, I find that to be staggering. Mm-hmm. Jim, I was and, ask you, I'm sorry, go ahead. Jim, I was just going to ask you, you said that you serve, but is, is, does your um, organization actually give the food to these um, various um, clientele that you or, or population groups that you discussed, or is it through other entities that partner with you? Um, both. That's a very good question. So we do it two different ways. One is that we have 325 nonprofit partners. Uh, could be something from a very large uh, nonprofit to a very small uh, mom and pop or a little church group or a um, different uh, community-based organization. So generally speaking, if there is a nonprofit with a feeding program in San Diego, they're probably getting their food through us. So that is a, a large way and that we impact those kind of numbers. Plus, we do about 160 distributions of our own uh, with our own staff out in the community uh, that we're doing every month in a certain location at a certain time. So it's kind of a two-prong approach. Wow. Uh, okay, I was going to say, say a few words about some of those nonprofits and the smaller groups that help you get to the individuals, like the churches, the distributors, the, that kind of thing, That that and how integral they are for you to actually get food to people because people can't come to you. No, exactly, and that's really what a food bank is because you're almost like a uh, intermediary, you know, putting, uh, being uh, the uh, the creating the res uh, having the resources to impact uh, grassroots organizations that can then go and serve their own constituency in their own local areas, and that's I think that's human nature. People are more trusting of you know their own local groups, their own uh, neighborhood, people that they know, people that they go to church with, or what have you. Uh, what's uh, really great about that? I mean, I love the concept of grassroots support and really being down um, and, and serving people so that these partnerships really enable us to do that. You know, I just got back from a trip to the uh, Northwest up in the Seattle area, and one of the most fascinating things is how community-dependent or how community-resilient uh, and proactive their small neighborhoods are in growing community gardens, in helping each other, in all kinds of things, and they do it very uh, locally based, and I know that's been one of the uh, issues that the food bank has helped out with. Well, exactly, and I, you know, my background as far as uh, being a nonprofit professional, I cut my teeth working for uh, an international charity, which was, you know, I was taught very early on what the uh, differences between a relief organization and a development organization, and we were very much a development organization. So really, it's about empowerment and capacity building, and by doing uh, community gardens and having people take responsibility for that community garden and then benefit from that, basically, you are building in people the, the capacity to be able to take care of their own welfare. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the other new initiatives that we're working on uh, is kind of a smaller version of the community garden. Uh, they're called tub gardens. And uh, basically, it's in a container, kind of what you would put your holiday lights in, a Tupperware container uh, that's maybe two or three feet uh, long and a couple feet wide. And basically, it's something that people can have on their on their patio, could have it on their balcony of their apartment. But basically, it's their own little personal garden. They could have 10, 12, 14 plants in there, and they can grow uh, fruits and vegetables, and they can uh, work towards uh, improving their diet and, and really talk about introducing, you know, a proper nutrition into uh, probably what's not a great diet to start with. So you provide oh. them the raw materials and training and then people do the, uh, you know, individuals who come to, uh, is it like through classes or maybe there's other, some of your nonprofit partners who do that? Or exactly. That and this is just a very new concept. So we're in the process of getting funding to do a couple pilot programs. So this is brand new for us. This is one of our new initiatives. But that's basically the idea is that either through our nonprofit partners and then uh, and then having them use it to, and then and distribute through their their uh, constituency or people that we come in contact with as well, but basically creating these in their hydroponic gardens. Um, you know, it's a, it's a negative uh, uh, medium. It's not dirt. It's not soil-based. You only have to water it about once a month. So the, the care is pretty simple, uh, but it's exactly what you're saying. We'll provide them with the, the tub garden. We'll provide them with the expertise and training uh, and with the, with the seeds of the plants to uh, try to uh, grow in their own homes. You know, and all the research says that communities that do things like that together are more likely to take better care of their communities. So while you're talking about your own homes, I know that when it happens in that context, there's frequent sharing. So somebody might grow one type, somebody might grow another type, and then they end up sharing, um, you know, with each other and, again, creating more of a sense of let's take care of the whole community. Absolutely. Um, Mm-hmm. And as you have, just in that program, for example, um, my personal recollection is, this is honest, people thought that was a trivial issue to start a community-type garden as a service that would help either from the food and feeding perspective, but also the leadership required and the community organizing required. What have you found in terms of leaders stepping up to uh, shepherd those community gardens or other programs? Well, we're not as engaged in the community garden concept as, as some organizations. I think pretty much that's been more of some of our community partners, some of our nonprofits and what they're doing. So right now we're really focusing just on this tub garden project. Uh-huh. And for, okay, um, so let me move on to a couple different questions um, related to that. And I would say, as you think about, I want to focus on you for a minute, because sure. you have this 20 years of history as the executive director of the Byrne Institute in San Diego, which was awarded numerous uh, national awards for being the model for collaboration in the context of, uh, of burns and injuries of that nature. As you look back, what were some of the collaborations and partnerships that you needed to establish as you were moving forward in that uncharted territory? Well, it was interesting. We, um, you know, when I came uh, 
to the Burn Institute, I saw here's a, a charity that has a naturally built-in constituency, and that's the fire service. You know, don't don't screw it up. I mean, this is a you know, this is a great opportunity for a true public-private partnership. And so I worked really, really hard to uh, uh, develop partnerships and mutually beneficial relationships. I mean, that is really key. Can't emphasize that much. Mutually beneficial relationships. And my mantra to my staff is that we want the fire service here locally to say we can't live without the Burn Institute. So whatever they need, whatever they didn't, they lacked in, uh, in expertise or resources, we found a way to provide that for them. The thing that made that relationship very tricky and for people who don't know the fire service, the fire service is probably one of the most political animals that there is because you've got labor and management. And, and it's kind of two sides of the fence, and you can't expect uh, you know, both to necessarily support you because they have different agendas. And we did something that really is very rare nationally. We received national uh, recognition and national claim about we were able to successfully work with both labor and management and work our ways. Our kind of, our, our kind of kidding comment was we're, we're Switzerland. We're neutral. You know, you guys are, the, the, the system is created so that you guys don't always agree. Leave us out of that. And so, you know, for fire departments, for the agencies, we provide them with all their fire and burn prevention literature. You know, we provide them with resources. We did media. I mean, we did all kinds of things like that. So we were able to work, you know, both labor and management. And literally, I would have firefighters that would go to a county chief's meeting to talk about how can we work better together to support the Burn Institute. And then I would say that to some of my colleagues and friends on the East Coast, where it's a little more traditional, they'd say, no way, that, that never happens. Like, well, in San Diego it does. Um, that's probably the most, um, one of the greater achievements, I must say, because that is just something that's just not, uh, not normally done. You know, Jim, you've, um, you've used the word relationships uh, quite often as you've been talking about partnering. Um, and, and I brought this point up before in our show. When you hear cultural anthropologists talk about Americans or people in this country in general, or in general our, our culture is one that they say isn't really, um, we don't focus on relationship building to the extent of other cultures. But how can that be um, given, obviously, the importance of relationship building as it relates to partnering? Well, I mean, my whole life, my whole existence and uh, as a nonprofit professional is about relationships. I mean, that is the, the bond that keeps you together because if you're on uh, going through hard times, I mean, we all, all think a lot of nonprofits went through that in 2009 when the economy kind of dumped. It's those relationships, those long-term partnerships uh, that get you through that because, you know, these are people that you can depend on. Uh, so, you know, it's interesting that you say that. Um, that's all I know. You know, develop yeah. your partnerships, develop those relationships. And, you know, and the thing that I was taught uh, early on in my career, uh, I was very fortunate um, to um, have a, uh, a boss from IBM World Headquarters. And basically he said it's about mutually beneficial relationships. Businesses do business things for uh, business reasons. So you develop mutually beneficial relationships and you, you give as good as you get. And that's uh, how you can create long-term partnerships. That is a great comment to end on and should be our mantra. I'm going to ask us to take a quick commercial break here, and we'll be back in just a minute or two with Jim Floro, CEO of the San Diego Food Bank. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. What are the reasons that over three-quarters of small businesses fail within three years? Why do 70% of U.S. women-owned businesses make less than $50,000 a year? What causes mid-sized companies to stagnate? Although today many fundamentals of business remain the same, there are critical current changes that are not being acknowledged, and the result is costly. Tune in to Moving Forward with host Jen Sabin. We'll discuss the core reasons and plans of action to keep your business moving forward. Listen Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Hello, good afternoon. We are back. Thank you for uh, remaining on the line and the show with us. Today we are speaking with Jim Floros, the CEO and President of the Jacob Tushman San Diego Food Bank, and we've been having a delightful conversation. I am your host, and with me is our co-host. I am Linda Schub of OEC Strategic Solutions in San Diego, and our co-host is John Janetta from Heartland Family Services in Nebraska. And so we will continue on with our conversation with Jim Flores. Um, if you would continue on, Jim, I think you're bringing up some just fascinating points. Would you share with us some of the specific unique partnerships that the food bank engages in and perhaps how you collaborate with cities and counties locally? Well, I mean, it's kind of multifaceted. I mean, I, I'm all about relationships and partnerships and, uh, and mutually beneficial, uh, relationships. So, I mean, the biggest one is probably the way we deliver, uh, food and how we serve people, and that's through 325 different nonprofits. So, you know, we work very closely and, and, and empower them. It's capacity building, whatever you want to call it, that empower them to have the resources to be able to feed their constituency. Um, on a fundraising side, I mean, I look at every fundraising fundraising opportunity, every fundraising uh, partnership is, is just that. It's a partnership and that it's really important that you make sure that you determine what are the um, 
what are these companies or businesses or these foundations, what are their goals? What are they trying to achieve? And then if you help them achieve their goals, they will come back and support you. And as I was kind of talking about a little bit before uh, the break, I was very lucky at a, a younger point in my career, but I had a gentleman from the IBM World Headquarters, and they had an executive on loan program where they would loan out um, executives that were nearing retirement. They would pay their salary the last two or three years of their career, and then they would farm them out, loan them out to the nonprofits, and that's who my boss was when I was 25, 26 years old. And he said, you know, don't fall in love with your cause because businesses do business things for business reasons, and if you help them achieve their goals... Um, and, and what they're trying, their objectives, they will continue to support you. Otherwise, they'll go find another charity out there because there's a thousand worthwhile charities. So I've taken that with me everywhere I go. I don't know how many funding sources, media contacts have said, we've never heard that from anybody from a nonprofit ever. Uh, so it's all about mutually beneficial relationships. Uh, we have a lot of great companies here locally that sponsor food drives like Vons and, and Saquon and Viejas. There's a couple of the Indian reservations, but they all have business uh, objectives and we're helping them achieve that through visibility, you know, goodwill, that sort of thing. So that's really important. And then, uh, the last piece of the puzzle is what we do with government. Uh, we do, and I we had a lot of experience with that working uh, with the Burn Institute because, you know, obviously fire service is a government entity. And a lot of times the government side doesn't have some of that private sector resources or knowledge or experience. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you develop that public-private partnership, you bring things to the table that they don't have, and they bring things to the table that you don't have, and that makes a pretty uh, formidable team. Uh, we do some things here locally uh, with the government. Uh, we work uh, very closely with CalFresh in California. It's the SNAP program, but it used to be called uh, Food Stamps. We work very closely with the county of San Diego and the CalFresh program, and we go out to our distributions, and we actually uh, screen and uh, and. Uh, bring people on for the CalFresh program and we actually do the application for them and helps uh, the county increase their numbers, get more people enrolled in the program. Uh, it's all about being a community resource. If you're a nonprofit guy, it's all about being a community resource. And it's my understanding that originally there was um, some resistance on the part of the government entity or the county or the county board of supervisors to have uh, your programs assist people in getting ready for food stamps and that it took um, a great deal of that mutual relationship and mutual mutual reciprocity to move that forward. So that wasn't an easy path from my understanding. And that's uh, stuff that predates me. I walked into a good situation, but I think that you know, the county here was having a lot of challenges in getting enough people enrolled. So they got to a point where I think they needed to look at, you know, thinking outside the box and think about having community partners and, and, and you know, and we have the context. We've got the resources and the people they're trying to reach are at our distributions. So, you know, it seems like a likely partnership. And so we are, we are rock stars with the county of San Diego and we are working in very close collaboration with them. And I think we've probably enrolled, you know, close to 5,000 people uh, in that CalFresh program since we've started this effort. That's amazing. That's pretty phenomenal. It's, and a lot of those people wouldn't have been in, enrolled. They were folks that showed up at distribution lines, if I'm not mistaken. Right, and there are distributions, and, you know, the thing is, I mean, 
if you can get people enrolled and get that debit card, now you're, you're again, back to that capacity building, you're empowering them to take some responsibility for providing food for their family. That takes some pressure off of us as well because now there's more food available for people who don't qualify for that program. And the whole system, you know, I mean, government bureaucracy probably exists for a reason, but for a lot of people, and maybe they're lower levels of, of literacy, uh, lower levels of maybe education, and so these applications are very daunting and very confusing and the thing that I think sets us aside from others doing similar work is we almost act as social workers so we'll take on a, a client and we'll fill out the application and then we'll follow them through the entire process and if they have a challenge or if they have a problem or they're going to get kicked out for a technicality we can contact the county on their behalf and get them back on, on track and that's something that I think is pretty rare. How did you I develop the level ahead, of trust please. with the people at the county that you could do this work well, on their behalf? Know, um, you know, going, going back to relationships, you know, uh, we have, uh, and I brought in, you know, these same relationships, but I mean, we have strong relationships with the County Board of Supervisors and they're holding these, you know, some of these departments, uh, accountable for what they're doing. And so suddenly you have a County Board of Supervisor who you have a strong relationship with and they put pressure on, you know, some of the uh, other bureaucrats saying, no, you know, I, this is a partnership we need to look at. We need to try to make this work. Um, you know, everybody wants to fix it and everybody is being held accountable, suddenly people are much more willing to take in uh, new ideas. So it's leveraging the existing relationships in a positive way to then leverage their relationships, which is even a more uh, politically savvy skill um, that I think effective leaders acquire over time because you can only ask people to dig into their relationships so many times. Well, and you know, and if you're in that truly looking for that mutual beneficial relationship and if you do something and uh, elected official, you make them look good, you get them on TV, you create opportunities for interviews, um, you know, you, you help them. And, and you're helping them and you're helping their careers because, you know, when you're elected official, you know, job one is staying in office and getting reelected. So if you can help them along the way, then, you know, when you need a favor, you know, they're more willing to do that. And plus, if you, if you produce, I mean, if you do something that's positive and they can take partial credit for it, everybody wins. Yes. And now, if, if you don't mind, um, since I know that you're with us for only our first two segments of the show today, um, maybe you can come this, but one of the most fascinating programs that I've observed the food bank go through is what is called food rescue and working with many of the large local hotels with all of the food that they are required to throw away. Could you share a little bit of how that partnership came about? Yeah, and we, we, we really, we are more of a facilitator in that regard. And what happens is there's like the Hotel Del Coronado or the San Diego Convention Center or what have you, you know, large hotels when they have banquets, they have, you know, a lot of food left over and it's perfectly good food. And it's got a, you know, a short window of time that it's, that it is, um, you know, able to be served to people. So basically we almost serve as that intermediary 
between mm-hmm. that hotel and that entity and homeless shelters that are feeding people. And so basically what we do is we act as a facilitator and basically then we'll connect that hotel or that entity with, um, you know, the San Diego Rescue Mission or St. Vincent de Paul or what have you. And then basically we almost step out of the, um, the equation and let the two of them interact so that that, that homeless shelter can go and, and pick up that food and serve it to their constituency. Mm-hmm. And so um, the, I believe that had to be somehow compliant to OSHA regulations of having the food served within a certain number of hours, and you were able to work at that level also to get to satisfy their compliance recommendations, all as part of this partnership of not just wasting. Absolutely, food. and that really that uh, that burden really falls on those those nonprofit partners that were you know, helping them, you know, with those relationships and helping identify those resources because they're, they're taking in food, they're, they're um, um, preparing food. So they're all, that's all second nature for them. So, you know, we get probably get the, uh, we just act as a facilitator and then we let them run with it. Hey, Jim, before you, before you go, I want to make sure we ask you our, um, our patented question that we want to ask every one of our, our um, guests because um, we're all about leadership, um, obviously. And so that question is, um, who would you um, say is sort of the leader of our time, someone that you really look to as an example? Well, I mean, that's such a huge question. There's so many great ones and people that I find uh, inspiring. But I'm going to I'm gonna go back. I'm kind of a little bit of a homer because I'm uh, from uh, Wisconsin. I'm a Wisconsin boy, and I am a diehard Green Bay Packer fan. And I think uh, um, Vince Lombardi is the one that comes to mind. Um, you're brainwashed at a very young age if you're from Wisconsin about being a Packer fan. But you look at what, you look at what Vince She's Lombardi said. I'm a cheesehead, and I'm proud of it. Um, and I've lived in San Diego longer than I lived in Wisconsin. But you look at what Vince Lombardi did, and when he came in, and he inspired his players, and he had a you know a team that had won only two or three games. And with that same cast of players, pretty much, he went on to win uh, six NFL championships in like seven years. Five out of seven years, they won the NFL championship. And of those 24, uh, you know, 30-some uh, players that played uh, on a regular basis, more than half of them ended up in the NFL Hall of Fame. So here's a ragtag team that had great potential and had some talent, but they didn't have anybody to bring all that talent and those resources together. And in a pretty quick uh, you know, time frame, you know, he was able to do that. I just find that remarkable. I'm not even sure somebody could do that in today's, uh, um, you know, modern society. But uh, he was inspiring. He was firm but fair. He inspired his players. He held them accountable. And I, and I think a good leader does that. I don't think people want to be a pushover and they want to have somebody that they can follow. Even if they don't completely agree with the direction, at least they got a direction. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like you've taken that quite to heart because of the few of your leaders at the food bank that I've had the pleasure of speaking with in the past week or two. Um, They hold you in that same regard, that you're decisive, that you're uh, very uh, clear as a leader, that um, you demonstrate the values and walk the talk. So I give you our congratulations. Uh, in your new role, and the best of luck. And I know you have to sign off, but would you take just a minute to let our listeners know where they could look up more information about the Christmas, uh, the uh, Jacobs Christmas San Diego Food Bank? 
Well, it's, it's pretty easy. It's uh, sandiegofoodbank.org. Uh, we got our wonderful website, lots of resources. If you're in the area, we're always looking for people to volunteer, uh, run a food drive, or donate money. Money always you know, talks uh, big volumes for us. But uh, this is a great organization, and uh, I admire it every day, and I feel very fortunate that I get to work here. Well, thank you so much for taking time and sharing your leadership lessons and informing us a little bit about the food bank. It's been uh, wonderful speaking with you, and I know there's so much more we could have spoken about. Um, so Jim Flores, CEO and President of the San Diego Food Bank, co-host Linda Shub and John Janetta, getting ready to take our midpoint break. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, guys. You're great. Thank you. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at innovisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Did you know that at the root of every business problem lies a communication issue? Communication Nation, a show that brings effective business communication practices to the masses, addresses a number of topics and talking points that impact your professional development, as well as business productivity and profitability. Host Jill Schiffelbein makes the theoretical tangible. Tune in each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be ready to become a better communicator with Communication Nation. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Hello, thank you for staying on the line with us. This is Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders and Inspiring Solutions. Our previous guest, Jim Foros from the San Diego Food Bank, spent the first part of the program with us, and now we've been open to some call-in questions and comments from our listeners. I believe we currently have on the line Judy from Maine, who serves on a nonprofit board and has served as executive director of several nonprofits, and she has a question and a comment for us. So go ahead, Judy. Thank you. Um, yes, as president on a nonprofit board, my board is made up of all volunteers, and as I'm getting ready for succession planning and to step down within the next year or two, I want to replace 
myself with some somebody with the strong leadership skills that's needed to to run a board effectively so that you can continue to have members serving on it. And I wondered if you might have any advice on how I go about finding people with good leadership skills to serve on a nonprofit board when it is all volunteer. I don't feel comfortable drilling down for interviews like I did when I was in the business world, the corporate world, um, and it wasn't volunteer at that point. So I wondered if you might have any advice along those lines. Uh, John, do you want to take a step first or shall I? Well, you know, I'm just thinking about um, uh, the principles behind, um, you know, partnering, successful partnering uh, that Jim was talking about and how those might apply to this because I think it's a lot of it's the same. You know, there's um, it's that issue of sort of trust and relationship as the starting point and then working from there and understanding, I think, building on complementary strengths. Um, I know for us, uh, our board is voluntary, 30-member voluntary board. Um, and one of the things I've found that's really useful, and we have a very engaged board and we ask a lot of them, is just being really clear up front from the very beginning about what we expect. It's all written out. We have a sort of like a scorecard that we keep very visible and everyone has access to to see how everyone's doing in terms of meeting their commitments. Um, and, you know, initially my thought was when I heard about this kind of a system that it would, like, scare people off and I wouldn't get people who'd want to volunteer from my board, but it's actually the opposite. So I don't know. It just as a starting idea. Is that something – I mean, part of it is also then um, – finding people who are willing to make those sorts of commitments, but it seems like if you're really clear about the commitments um, and you state those, if it scares people off, they're not people you wanted to get involved anyway. So it's really just a matter of finding people you're not going to scare off by having these really clear um, expectations. So structure and expectations and give, get, or uh, volunteer, those kinds of things are really important. Um, I can also say, Judy, that I was once informed or um, enthusiastically uh, in conversation with one of my, quote, mentors or one of the people I respect a lot in the community, and what he told me was, staff, uh, try to uh, get your board members to take positions that play to their strengths. Not mm-hmm. just the political people, but somebody financial should be in the financial role. Somebody in marketing should be in the membership marketing, maybe head of the committees as the committees get developed. Or in fundraising, that board members will uh, enjoy the experience a lot more if they are asked to perform in their area of strength, not just to show up to be part of you know, that team, et cetera. Excellent. That's an excellent piece of advice, and you're, you're absolutely right. Um, playing to the strengths is, is the best way to go. I know we have a few people on our board that are in roles like that, whereas the other ones are, are just contributing in whatever way we need them to. Uh, so... <laughs> It's interesting when you're interviewing or searching for these people, for these volunteers, how, how do you go about finding them? 
it, you know, to me, it's probably the same principle as with finding good paid staff, and that's using your 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 existing staff or volunteers. Um, they're always going to be your best resource. I know, like a lot of our volunteers, it kind of pains me. I'll be honest to hear them talk about it, but they volunteer for other places too. <laughs> they don't. They're not just totally devoted to us, and so their networks are surprisingly large, and um, they're aware of other people volunteering elsewhere who are really, really impressive. So the key is to get them to use that relationship to bring those impressive people to your organization um, to share their skills with you, too. Interesting. Okay. Good. It's back to the mutual reciprocity. What did they get out of it beyond the immediate task? How did they build based on what their own career and personal interests are? I think that's what I just took out of what you said, John. Yeah, um, you know, and using those, it's uh, relationship building and networking. It's using those networks. Um, yeah. Thoughts or comments, Judy, or anything you've done in addition to that? Um, we've used primarily people that, um, right now we're thinking about pulling people out of the membership of the organization. We would like people to, to serve on the board that have awareness of the organization. So we are searching our membership rosters. So, so do you have like a nomination I, committee, Judy, to help you to yes, do that work? Yes, we do. We do. And, and we don't know all the members. We don't ask, of course, for resumes um, in this organization because, because. So we, we have to find that out. And if we know people, like you're suggesting of existing staff, and that's kind of how we've been doing it, but we aren't. We have more retirees on our board than we have people that are really out there contributing fully in, in, in the work world, whether sure. it be volunteer or paid staff. So I don't think that they have that same network that you're talking about. And oh, sure, it would, yeah. It would benefit us to try to get some younger, more actively involved people on this board, I think it would serve us well. If they have well, I've actually seen people recruiting for board that ask their staff, who do you know that meet these criteria that might be interested in gaining some leadership experience by serving on a board? And then um, some of the Gen X and Gen Yers um, are more likely to be found. In fact, um, one friend that I spent some time with this past weekend in Seattle is attending a bachelor's program specifically on nonprofit and social justice leadership. Hmm. She is getting her bachelor's degree in that. And so she's a generation Y, about 25 years old, and just the tip of the iceberg, but her breadth of connections is, because of social media, is huge. Yeah. And yeah. so is, she is able to personally find more contribution than we might have expected a couple decades ago with us boomers running a lot of these nonprofits. Uh-huh. Um, you know, maybe back then we didn't have those social networks and contacts. Maybe now there's a way to outreach for some of that. Good idea. And, and Judy, I don't know if in your um, community you have um, like uh, community-based leadership development programs around here. Most of our larger um, cities have them, and if there aren't larger cities, then usually they're held at a county level. And every year they, um, you know, nom- they um, 
recruit applicants and then they select a group of maybe 20 or 40, depending on how large the community or program is. And then those um, participants form that class. And then throughout the year, they're meeting maybe once a month and focusing on a different aspect of leadership from the perspective of the community. So one day they might be focused on governance and, and justice and other arts and media and other um, human services and health and those sorts of things. And part of the the goal of the program, besides sort of engaging people, future leaders or current leaders in the community, is helping to connect them to opportunities to lead and serve with organizations like yours. That's an, an excellent idea, and I haven't pursued the um, educational uh, options with junior colleges and universities around, so that's an excellent idea to see what mm-hmm. kind of workshops might be going on or programs. Yes. And oftentimes the same entities uh, that organize those community leadership programs also host um, young professionals groups. So there's another um, sort of a resource of potential recruit uh, people to talk to and try to engage in your um, organization. Okay. Oh, that's interesting because Jenny would probably, Jenny is one of our other co-hosts from Jewish Family Services in Florida, and she would probably tell you that there is a, a, a young uh, leadership, young professional leaders group that meets regularly. And um, I know that college campuses have associated student bodies that work on creating leadership skills also that might be a way to outreach for either members or committee members who might become board members, et cetera. Hmm. So... Um, I am hearing music that tells me we need to go for a break. You are welcome to stay on the line, and we will return in just a few minutes with myself, Linda Shoup from Organization Systems Strategic Solutions, and with Don Janetta from Heartland Family Services, and with Judy from Maine as our calling guest. So we'll be right back. Thank you, and stay tuned. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858 244 8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at innovisions.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. The way we do banking today continues to evolve. No longer is it just brick-and-mortar locations or traditional banker's hours. Today, banking is 24-7. It's in the home. It's on the go. It's digital. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how traditional banking as we know it has changed due to a loss of trust, changing economic conditions and consumer behavior, government involvement, and, of course, technology. What does it all mean? Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. 
business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovations.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Once again, this is Leadership Matters, informing leaders and inspiring solutions. We do realize that our uh, introduction talks about Dr. G and Jenny Frumer, and yet today you have Linda Schub and John Janetta as your host and co-host. Um, we will be updating that shortly, and Dr. G and Jenny Frumer are fully participating with us. Um, at this moment, we have a new caller on the line we have Debbie from Carlsbad, California, and she has a couple of questions to ask us. So thank you for calling, Debbie. Go ahead. Okay. What are the historical difficulties creating a partnership between multiple nonprofits and or nonprofit and public and private entities? That was my first thing. Okay. Well, you know, my... Um my experience has been that um, one of the biggest, um, well, there's a multiple barriers. One of the biggest ones is that, um, especially when you're involving um, uh, governmental organizations, is that there are uh, oftentimes entrenched regulations around the funding um, that will limit what can be done without some real creative thinking and some people willing to sort of advocate for change. Um, but it can it can seem oftentimes almost intractable, and mm-hmm. and, it, and it will turn people away who don't really have a huge commitment and a lot of support and a really strong relationship with the partners to get it done. Wow. <clears throat> and then I guess the other part is what were the factors that created the change in the mindset where the leaders are more willing to collaborate with each other? Yeah, I I think. You know, it's a lot of different things, and um, one of one is having leaders who are uh, willing to um, to at least agree up front. Okay, um, you know, maybe there's going to be barriers, but let's just say we're committed to making this happen. It's a good idea, so let's let's agree on the goal, and then once we agree on that, then let's start figuring out how we're going to get there. But let's say we agree on the goal, we're determined we're going to make it work. We know there's going to be roadblocks and things that get in the way, so we may have to figure out ways around, and we may end up at least short-term with a solution that isn't the ideal, but it's closer. It gets us a step closer to the ideal, and then we can start to systematically break down those barriers because it might be that regulations have to change, and if you don't have the power to do that and you don't want to operate something that's out of compliance and could result in you having to pay back money because it's not in compliance, then you have to start then, you know, doing some advocacy work to get some of those things changed to support the direction that you want to go in or find funding that's not affiliated with a public funding source so that you can have that creativity to prove the idea so that then you can advocate to the public funding sources that this works and you should fund it. Ooh, great idea. You know, here's a slightly different take on that, too, that other people have expressed to me, and that is um, when the pain 
is great enough, which usually means when the resources are scarce enough and an organization, a nonprofit, um, a public sector, some organizations can, quote, raise rates to their citizens, but a nonprofit cannot usually do that. So um, when the pain is great enough and they feel that their ability to fulfill their mission and goals um, is at risk, I have observed personally and been told that that is when people tend to be uh, more likely to look for win-win solutions, ways to collaborate. Um, they put down their territorial, uh, this is my territory and this is your territory, and combine sources and resources so that um, if you know, at the at the low points when it may become a matter matter of survival and or compliance for nonprofits, they find ways to collaborate that may not have been very palatable before, but um, are necessary and generally speaking tend to enjoy it and see the value and carry on. I don't you know, know if you've seen anything. That um, and that, and that brings up an interesting issue too because I think sometimes. Public-private nonprofit, especially uh, public-private partnering between nonprofits and government, sometimes um, can stir up lots of sort of like horror stories about things that went terribly wrong. And I think part of it is because so often those partnerships have been mandated; they didn't evolve organically because out of out of a sense, out of an identification of a need and shared goals and a common mission. And um, and I think you know I, I don't know if you've re- heard of this book called The Power of Two. It's mm-hmm. written. It's published by Gallup Press, written by uh, Rod Wagner and Gail Mueller, and um, it's, it takes some of the research um, that Gallup did on effective partnering and then lays it out for you. Um, and it, it, it includes a lot of their previous research on strengths and how to leverage strengths. But you know, that's in all the research they identified. Um, I don't know, maybe um, eight different characteristics that make partnerships and collaborations really effective. And one of them is you have to have a common mission. And it's hard to build on that when the common mission is never really agreed upon. It's just sort of mandated. You've got to do it if you want to get the money. So, for example, most large cities or urban areas have continuums of care to end homelessness because if they want to get U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development funds for their homeless services or homeless prevention programs, they have to have one. Now, maybe everyone agrees that it's a... It's a good idea, maybe not, but if they're going to sit at the, if they if they're going to access those resources to do what they want to do, they have to be a part of that partnership. And so it's almost as if you're saying they have to sit at the table and in this joint agency partnership reestablish their scope, their mission, their role, their goals, their roles, almost as if they were doing a uh, strategy or strategic planning for that partnership so that they have clear deliverables, clear role expectations. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they have to have a plan for how they're going to end homelessness, and so they, they have to you know, really be, become, um, as a group, data-driven. And mm-hmm. um, it, it can get really tricky because you're um, starting to look at outcomes, comparing outcomes from different programs, and you're making evaluations uh, for funding because when, when you have one of the – once these are set up, then as an agency, if you want to submit a proposal uh, for funding uh, for, for one of the um, 
HUD competitions, it all goes through that group. They're the ones who do the first evaluation typically. So, I mean, it can get kind of political. And so you might have people participating because they want to get the money, but are they really fully invested in the mission? Is there really a shared mission? And that's where it can be hard because you got to, if that, if, if that's not there, you got to go back somehow and get that going. You know, it's interesting because what you're saying reminds me directly. I spent a couple of years working with the uh, United Way of Greater Los Angeles when um, they had appointed their new CEO after a very long tenure of the previous CEO. And uh, Elizabeth Buick became their new CEO. And Elise, I'm sorry, Elise Buick became their new CEO and really turned the accountabilities for the outcomes for the money they were distributing to their partners and the folks that they were supporting with um, their uh, financial grants and monies had to have their own compliance factors so that the compliance for the funding in the first place was not only dependent upon the United Way. And it worked out really well because it gave those folks those uh, uh, homeless organizations, the school organizations, the um, uh, policing organizations who all came together to work on uh, some of the homelessness and poverty issues that created the need for United Way funding and brought them together to say we all need to comply to a certain set of standards so that we can all be buoyed by that. So yeah, it's see, very see, my guess is she figured out a way to move the conversation beyond just simple compliance and access to resources to something that really made life better for each of the partners. It goes back to what Jim said. It's got to be a win-win, and you have to figure out, like when you're partnering with business, what's in their business, best interest of, their, of that business that would make it worthwhile for them to not only be in this partnership, but to sustain the partnership. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's, prob- that's another one of the... Um, findings in Gallup's um, research that you go into a partnership usually for selfish reasons, but if it's a good one, you come out more invested in your collaborators' success than your own. Well, that's been my personal experience, and um, I must say this hour has gone very quickly. I'm hearing the signal that we're about to close. I think we could summarize today by saying our Three, our primary guest, Jim Foros from the San Diego Food Bank, CEO and president, as well as Judy from Maine and Debbie from Carlsbad have certainly prompted some interesting thinking and conversation. And to me, the gist of, if I was going to summarize it all around the leadership skill is building and maintaining positively reciprocal relationships in order to move things forward even when it's uncharted territory or even when those folks have been uh, non-collaborators or competitors in the past. Um, so very, very interesting information and examples that we've heard today. Um, I want to remind our listeners and guests that next week at the same time, we will have Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders and Inspiring Solutions, once again, and um, I don't see here. Do you know, John, what our next topic is next week? Nope, but Jenny and um, uh, Cheryl will be co-hosting, and I'm sure it'll be a great show. Yes, I know they have something fabulously planned for us. So thank our listeners once again. I'm Linda Schub, and I can be reached at OEC Strategic 
www.sanjeevasolutions.com. And this is John Janetta, and he can be reached at heartlandfamilyservice.org. Okay, we encourage you all to log on to our website, share our information with your colleagues, and um, we thank you for listening to our show today. Once again, Leadership Matters, informing leaders and inspiring solutions, partnerships and collaborations. Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter. Oh, 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 oh,